In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. In the background of this morning's gospel lesson, two groups of people have begun to form over differing interpretations of Jesus' miracles. On one hand are the religious and political leaders of Israel, both surprised and skeptical of this previously unknown preacher from the backwater town of Nazareth. Seeing how quickly crowds of disciples are flocking to Jesus, their main concern became how best to quietly take down this popular figure before he upset the fragile balance that they negotiated with the Romans. Messianic rebellions had been a problem in the recent history, and they needed to maintain the status quo above all else. For them, their hard-won stability, as disappointing and as compromising as it often proved, was still better than nothing. On the other hand, some of Jesus' own disciples in the group following him were eagerly anticipating and pushing for the, this very upheaval of the establishment. This second group was committed to seeing Jesus' teachings and miracles as signs that Jesus was about to cast out the pagans and the hypocrites and the oppressors and to restore their nation to its former glory. They waited on Christ's word for the moment when he would order them to draw their swords and to go into glorious battle. For them, nothing less than an immediate purge of all their enemies would suffice, and death in holy war was preferable to living in the uncomfortable contradiction of being God's people while tolerating pagans. Both of these groups were in error. Each saw in Christ a timely and an inspirational religious and political symbol, a nightmare for the rulers and an inspiration for the revolutionaries. But because neither of them could see beyond the horizon of their immediate problems, their immediate sense of the real problem with Israel, and their immediate solutions to that problem, both missed the meaning of Jesus and his signs. Across St. Mark's Gospel, miracles are meant to show that Jesus is performing the authentic work of God and that the reign of God on earth is beginning. The kingdom is at hand. Therefore, repent and believe. The healing of the deaf mute from this morning's lesson proclaims this perspective and it is a fulfillment of a promise made to the prophet Isaiah. Quote, be strong. And fear not. See, your God comes with vengeance. With dread retribution, he comes to save you. 
Then shall blind men's eyes be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the deaf shout aloud. They shall enter Zion with shouts of triumph, crowned with everlasting gladness. Gladness and joy shall be their escort, and suffering and weariness shall flee away. The significance of each of Jesus' miracles is not just with the immediate effect of the healing for that particular person, but rather how much it serves as a sign of a larger work, a sign that God is actively redeeming and vindicating his people like he promised, that he is redeeming and healing humanity and the whole creation, preparing his people for a renewed creation in which corruption, suffering, and death are permanently defeated. Jesus' miracles are always meant to teach us to look ahead to this as the true end of all things. All expressions of grace, whether they be healings or deliverance, or personal transformations and conversions. These all are gifts that exist to show us that our final redemption is at hand, but that its fulfillment is yet to come. Miracles, in the end, are aids to our hope that God is keeping his promises and will make all things new. But while... Miracles are always signs of the grand drama of God's saving work. They are also always acts of a particular and individual mercy. God loves us. God loves you in particular. He cares for us, and he wants for us to come to him with what we actually need and want. He wants us to ask things of him and to do so with an honest heart, saying what we really feel like we need. As Christians, we confess as a people that God is the one who made all things, who is life itself, who is ultimately transcendent and apart from all that he has made. But we also confess that God is Emmanuel, God with us. The word through whom all things were made, through whom creation was called into existence, that word took on humanity and made his dwelling place among us. The spirit of God who searches the mind of God and is the fullness of the love between the eternal Father and the eternal Son, that spirit has been sent to dwell within each of us. We are each the temple of that spirit. So while redemption is no merely individual matter, while salvation is always more than just a thing between me and God, It is never less than this. He knows the number of the stars, and 
he knows the number of hairs on your head. We are part of a story that is much bigger than each of us. But each of our parts in that story is irreplaceable. And so we cannot seek first the kingdom and its righteousness while failing to make our needs known unto God. Both of these things are necessary. God alone is capable of harmonizing the work of cosmic redemption with the work that is to be done in the heart of each person. When Jesus meets the deaf-mute man in the gospel lesson, he takes him apart from the crowd and talks to him alone. He addresses his needs. The pains of particular people are always known to him. Jesus never neglects a person and the needs that bring them to him, even while he is accomplishing all things. And he is pleased always to draw to those who in their humility know their need. As the psalmist begins Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me out and known me. Even so, Jesus is always aware of how each present moment relates to the ultimate plan in God's mind and how each moment and each need serves best the bringing of each of us into the kingdom. As the psalmist concludes Psalm 139, Look well if there be any way of wickedness within me and lead me in the way everlasting. In our collect this morning, we pray to God as one who is always more willing to hear than we are to speak, who is always inclined to give us more than we are inclined to ask for. The astonishing truth reflected in this collect is that God knows us before we know him, that he is seeking us out and saving us before we are even aware of it. And it means that while we are inclined to ask for breadcrumbs from under the table, he is prepared to share with us his kingdom and his very life. We believe we are so much more alone than we actually are. We believe too little of the love of God. And we are always forgetting that almighty God who made all things and all of his saints are constantly desiring and laboring in love for our salvation and for our joy. We are tempted to settle for so little. And even our most ardent and desperate desires of the heart if we make them known, are not yet asking as much as God wants to give us. For our God is a good God, a loving Father who delights to give good gifts to his children. You matter to God. He has not forgotten you, and he has not and will never abandon you. 
And no matter where you are today, he will lead you into the kingdom if you'll ask. For the same Jesus who said to the deaf man's ears, be opened, and to the mute man's tongue, be loosed. This is the same Lord who stood at the gates of death itself and commanded them, be opened, and to those who were imprisoned by its darkness, be loosed. And he is the same Savior who stands at the door of every human heart this morning, and gently knocks so that they might be opened. That at his coming in to abide with us, from all the chains of sin and sorrow we may, at the last, be loosed. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.